3: Ready
2: to do it, folks. That's swinging Open, the gateway to your weekend. We've got it for you right here. Stick around for us for the next two hours. We'll get it open, get you started right here on Kelly and Ramya. I, Kelly MacDonald, the home studio, London, Ontario. Ramya Muthan on main campus at hey. the studio in Toronto. Good day.
1: Good day. Good Friday. It feels like my first Friday show in a while, so I'm happy to be here.
2: So, we before the show were having a discussion about Ramya's growing up neighbourhood. <laughs> You have a quite an attachment you to, to your it. neighbourhood. It's
1: called Scarborough.
2: So you have quite an attachment to Scarberia. Yeah. Now, what I find interesting, I mean, I, I love, like, I was born in Montreal. I love my part of London that I, I grew up in, in Byron. And maybe it's because I spent a lot of time in Brantford. So, mm. And then, of course, working in Toronto. I don't have that connection. That's it. I don't have the same connection to a neighbourhood as you do.
1: Oh, um, so I am ride or die. I mean, okay. Yeah, it's getting speak, a little extreme, speaking to
2: but... the ignorant like myself. Why
1: <laughs> it's uh, Give me I some spent Most of my life there I'd say up until I was 15, 17 and that's when I moved out of Scarborough and before that we lived uh, pretty much in the same area the entire time moved around once but still stayed in the same vicinity. So I grew up elementary school, middle school, high school. I was all Scarborough, all kind of in that radius of uh, where we lived. And so I feel very loyal to it. I've moved to the west, west end of Toronto as well, like west of uh, Yonge Street. Did not mm-hmm. enjoy it. East end forever.
2: Wow. Come back yep. Scarborough forever, right?
1: Mm, yeah, I'm currently not in Scarborough, yeah. but still, yeah. No,
2: but Okay. Great. Does that help? Let's see what's going on here on the program, (laughs) folks. Oh, gosh. Microsoft and OpenAI say hackers are using ChatGPT to improve cyber attacks. Must be out of Scarborough. Must be. Don Buehler, he'll tell us more on the app update.
1: We know it's in the U.S. Anyway, uh, sports reporter Brock Richardson is talking about new rules for the Scotties Tournament of Hearts. We talk about this at least once a year.
2: And, ladies and gentlemen, Ryan Huey features Expose, the Ashley Madison hack. That's from Audible. He says the stories spare no detail. So, we'll check that out in hour two on the chatty bookshelf right here on Kelly and Rumya.
1: That production's buzzing a lot.
2: Yeah, of- I th- yeah everybody's uh, anxious, uh, really. You know, what they've heard, what they remember of when it was and everything. We'll get into all that with Ryan. It's uh, it's going to be interesting. He's bringing great stuff on the show to talk about. Lots of buzz talk. Folks, um, Canadian shoppers are not letting inflation deter them from buying beauty products. Angus McWatt, who tracks the Canadian retail industry for McKinsey, says sales are soaring in the category in part because young shoppers who are influenced by what they see online. At least
4: 50%, if not more, of kind of millennials, Gen Z are making their product decisions in this category based on social media and and directly what they saw online. Uh, So
2: it is a huge driver in this category. Mick Watts says skincare has been a particularly boom for the industry because brands see more elasticity in this part of beauty budgets. And shoppers picking up these kinds of products are less likely to to trade down when prices rise. It's kind of rum that case like we hear people filling up their gas tanks. Uh, The price, the price, which we've heard forever as we keep filling them up. It sounds like that's kind of the reference here that someone might say, this is just getting more expensive as they throw it into their basket.
1: Right. I I wonder what it stems from. Is it part of it that, you know, we know we— We know there's no way around it, or is it that we want to still splurge in certain parts of our life? Because we hear about that too, right? Self care or self indulgence or, you know, treat yourself, that kind of thing. And are the makeup products, are the uh, skincare products part of that realm of thinking? I wonder about that. Um, But definitely. What do you do with food?
2: When when, when like you have a brand, like something, no, stuff you buy for your snacks at home, something you prefer, the type of, I don't know, oh. a cereal or something, yeah. if you find the price is getting too ridiculous, what do you do?
1: I don't know, buy it anyway. See, that's what I mean. Right? Do you like, buy it anyway, or do you buy? in some
2: things a knockoff, or something. No. Not, maybe food's a bad if example I have, like, because a
1: favorite snack yeah. specifically yeah. Or a particular brand of chip or something. I'm not going to move to a Will different version of that. you buy it less? That. See, Probably I
2: don't know like, what your yeah, choice exactly. is with makeup. It's right? It less like what frequently. is? Yeah, what is your choice with makeup though? You want you need it as frequently as you're going to need it as also you an usually exploration do. Thing. But there's nothing cheaper. Yeah.
1: Makeup is yeah. like you can see it as a hobby as well. Like a lot of people who, you know, just love right. buying different makeup, trying different makeup, uh the newest trends. Trends are always changing with makeup as well and skincare, so uh, there's a lot of this kind of um, underlying thing going on also how easy it is like you you heard in the clip the mention of uh social media influence and that's because everyone's the influencers that are on social Mm -hmm. uh, demonstrating makeup products for example have links in their bio you just click and buy right
2: well, that's because they're getting supported, just like our tech guys. Mm. Hey, show our product and stuff like that. We had yeah. this conversation with uh, with Beth, remember that day, about the young kids who demand, Mom, Northwest. I'm going to wear this. I want this. And it used to yep. be the big deal of clothes, people. And I'm mean, still, I'm sure it is to some degree. I, I would assume it's much to say. But interesting makeup now being nailed for. Because even if you ex- experiment, you still have your base... Makeup, I would imagine, that you use going out every day or, or whatever that you the three or four and things you like to the, the look, right? Mm. Yeah, it could change, but you still have your okay, I'm just running to the store, plop plop, your away foundation. you go with whatever. Yeah. yeah, and you still have to pay for that. And if it messes it goes up in price, you there's no substitute in your mind for that. Yeah, unless you're making a change. Mm. Mm -hmm. Coming up next on the program, gardener Susan Kearney tells us a story about one of her first attempts at a garden. And of course, you know what follows that, folks.
3: All that went raw. We'll get into it in two minutes. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back.
2: I remember back in the day when they opened the Scarborough. See, I can say it. RT. Hmm. Remember yeah. when they opened that thing? It was such a great deal, big deal. And now we ask the question, where is it? It's
1: obsolete. Even it, Scarborough.
2: Even it left Scarborough. I
1: think it disintegrated, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> yes. Oh,
2: it did. It was just the problems with it. And then you start throwing money into something that's ridiculous. And again, it was to appease a, a generation at the time. Yeah. And not enough was put into it. Not enough care. Not enough really you know, looking at Ooh, who commanded that? Art Eggleton, I think, was the one. that uh, I'm probably wrong there. My Toronto knowledge of politics is is far from accurate. But, oh, what a time, what a time. What a smell. I know someone. <laughs> over, and, and you were saying how noisy it was. So See, noisy. Yeah.
1: You could not have a conversation with the person next to you on the SRT. You just have to wait it out.
2: That thing had all the magnets in that, right? Wasn't that how that yeah, was I think the big so. thing about how that yeah. worked? You, you could stand there next to track and you hear the click, 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 of it as it was shifting. Yeah. Maybe and I'll you'd be talk more know. about
1: it on a closing moment because I know you guys do Yeah, love do that or, or on, a on a vanity. On no, a vanity. No, do it on a vanity. No, yeah, no. do it on a vanity because then the you can run show. on
2: about it. <laughs> oh, good grief. Torture, folks. Sorry, folks. I'm sorry we opened this can of Scarborough. <laughs> so glad. Uh, folks, we on Friday start the show by visiting with our gardener, Susan Kearney.
5: Hello, I'm Susan Kearney. Join me on Kelly and Rumya for the joy of gardening by using touch, taste, scent, and sound.
2: So, a smart host from London, Ontario, would have enough sense to have waited on this particular topic before he brings another Toronto mm-hmm. person on the show, because I can't remember what end of Toronto you're from, Suze.
5: <laughs> yes, Toronto. <laughs>
2: Yeah. That's all Suze's yep. going to say. Oh, you're from Scarborough, gonna, too, eh, Suze? She's
1: not going <laughs> to indulge it at all. Smart, we, we actually did
5: live Smart. in Scarborough for a few years. Mm-hmm.
2: And, and mm-hmm, do you share this, this? Do you share? Yeah. that's uh, Because she lived for a few years, with Rum, she just doesn't have that attachment to it that you do. <laughs> yeah. I'm helping you out here, uh-huh. Suze. Yeah, yeah. May, now, yeah. Suze, this I'll, first...
5: I'll get myself t- and- you get myself into trouble. Yeah. I, I, I love going to the Sheridan Nursery, though. I will put that put out there. All right. it, it's still absolutely wonderful. Yeah. All the way out there, yes.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Sue's today. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about your first attempt at a garden that didn't maybe didn't go so well. So that must have been your three years out in Scarborough. Uh, I want to tell
5: us a little. No, little bit no, about... it was before.
3: Okay.
2: You listen was to her. Was... She's not
5: going to talk smack. That, 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 that's right. And, uh, it it was before, and um, I, I, even though I had done uh, like gardening all the time, you know, helping. Um, different family members doing gardening and so on. This was my first attempt. I, I had no idea that Mother Nature um, actually rules. And uh, yeah, because when I was helping, there was always other other people who were doing the heavy work, the weeding and and so on and so forth, and keeping um, things uh in in check so uh i i i knew that there there were a lot of things you had to do but um i didn't realize right there and that was a very big lesson that mother nature just said no um mm. the, the one thing it's that like you don't have no any control about.
2: right sue you can yeah. you can act out you can have desires but the destiny yes.
5: of it is not up to you yes because um actually bordering um, the, the bottom of the garden, there were there were several stands of Carolina poplars, and um, what I didn't realize is that they would they kept on putting down their little saplings. Everywhere they wanted to. So as soon as I would dig up a garden bed, and I was doing um, ground gardening at that time, and, oh, here's a great place we can plant one of our little saplings. I was constantly pulling those out of the ground, uh, and and uh, and of course it would it would take over. Um, their roots would uh, be you know right in there, and and it would only take matter of. of a week or so if you you know think you've got a bunch of them taken out and then they would start all over again so that was, that was one of the uh, big things and there was a lot of weeds and I think that um, because this particular garden backed on to um, what we will now call a green area. Um, it was it was just field at that time. Uh, there was a lot of things being carried in the wind, and as soon as you would dig and they'd find this nice soil um, that I was trying to build a garden with, and things would start sprouting up all sorts of weeds. <laughs> it, it, it was a challenge and it was interesting and uh, that was that was one of my first, Respect Mother Nature and know that if, if if you're if she's going to deal with you, she is going to deal with you, and you're you're going to have to work a lot harder.
1: Um, was that during that time and during that approach, Susan? Did you have a lot of research done? Did you have an idea of like, okay, this is exactly what I'm supposed to do, or did you just kind of wing it and then feel like you knew what you were doing?
5: Yeah, I, yeah, that's that's about it. I, I thought well, I've, I've been doing this for so long, but as I but not in my own garden. So um, I, I I actually thought that I knew a lot more than I did. Right. I I, I planted. I I did plant tomatoes, um, and then I planted parsley, but in the same area. That's a no-no, uh, because that particular year. And I think it depends on the year. Um, there were a lot of tomato worms. Well, they ate all the parsley. Aww. I think we only got a few tomatoes, and I, I had to keep picking them off the the, uh, the tomato vines. I, I never did get the pull them off of the parsley because they they ate it. I, I mean, it was like bare bare soil um, wow. by the time they had finished. Uh, so I had to keep picking them off. And the only way I could get rid of them uh, was uh, a large um, tin, that uh, uh, apple juice can, actually, filled with water and dishwashing um, soap. So that was the only way. And then just let them drown. And then I would just dump them out at the back of the garden. What I didn't know was that they lay their eggs in the soil. Oof. So no matter... It, what never ends. I did, it, it, it didn't end so it and i think these things do go in cycles i've only in this particular garden i've only had um one one time when i had them uh and i i i was i knew right away what to do and i knew how to get rid of them very quickly and i i knew to take um that particular it was actually in um in in dill i actually got it on some of the dill and um i i poured i poured the soil out i got rid of it um i put a lot of vinegar in it uh so that um that you know it would kill off the eggs hopefully i don't know whether that really works but hopefully it did work but in the that first garden it, it was interesting i planted cauliflower plus uh, some other I don't even remember, maybe peas or maybe um, some beans. Um, they didn't grow either. There was too many weeds. And then, uh, But I did plant the cauliflower. What was very interesting is that it did very well, and there were no bugs in it. They, 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 I guess the tomato worms or whatever else was around mm. um, didn't like the cauliflower. But we had a lot of cauliflower, and so we always talk about the year. Of the cauliflower, because <laughs> I had to figure out all sorts of recipes to do, to, to make it pickled was my favorite. Um, I, I pickled a lot of it, <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so, so yes, it was the year of the cauliflower. Well, at
1: least there was some hope, right? Like, imagine if everything got uh, eaten <laughs> that year, you, <laughs> yeah. you might have yeah. given up uh, on absolutely. gardening.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I, I might have. Now, um, uh, we we only spent one year in 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 that. Garden, and then that's when we moved to Scarborough. Um, and no, no. we didn't have a garden actually in Scarborough. Um, so, uh, no wonder. Uh, for the no, we probably <laughs> <laughs> there, there was no <laughs> chance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and all the no chickens that Romeo talks about were eating
2: up everything, every seed no you put down. Yeah. Yes, but
5: we, we also we backed onto a ravine, and I did not want to go through the same um, right a, yeah. a situation um, that, that I had, had had before, and 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 it gave its own natural. It was very naturally beauty. Um, you, know, be, yeah. the yeah. was, yes. you know the beautiful yes with the ravine and everything you could, you, back there yeah you could hear the trees and smell you know smell the. you know the the freshness of the air so yeah that, that and that was uh, but, but yes my first so, garden so did, did you did you get
2: that kind of with the first garden and the troubles w- would that have been the closest if at all where you kind of said like am i really like do i want to go through these hassles or did you always have it in your mind you know what this is okay and things get better and things will get worse some yeah. years
5: Yes, and, and, and actually, when we, we decided that we were going to move closer into the city uh, for many different reasons, uh, we, we, um, we, I actually chose um, the, the, the garden I have now for the reasons... Why I have that garden? Because of uh, the way it, it, it faced. Um, that I didn't. I, um, Mother nature wasn't going to um, naturally encroach on it, and so, because I knew that's what I wanted to do. It was, um, yeah, ver- very much um, to to always have a um, a, a garden a, mm. of some description, and you know, different. Um, I've kept records of all my different gardens. So yes, that was. Um, yeah, that was how I. Uh, and and no, I would not have. It was the one thing I did not want to give up. So no. I, I really wanted that that garden back, and I wanted a specific place where I knew that the, I I could actually put in in a garden without having to live out in the country, which you know right. I, I know it would have been. I know a lot of people do. Um, mm-hmm. You know. Who, who who are blind or visually impaired, but I I just I did not want to do that. I yeah, wanted that wasn't the, convenience the way, the way things were yeah. set.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. th- the notes that you took and everything like that, Sue's in the form that you, how... I'm, I'm going to assume, obviously, you, you look back, you review probably for several years after what what did I do wrong here? What did I note to avoid? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But at what point for you did it get to where you just retained so much of it up in your head because of the years of experience under mm-hmm. your belt as time went on? Like, I mean, do you Learned still have mistakes. to refer back to those notes or are they kind of, here? <laughs> remember mm-hmm. when we tried this?
5: Ah. No, I, I still do have some notes. Um, if I kept everything, then we would have far too much paper. Oh, gosh, yeah. I really do like to put, put things You'd down You'd be able to paper. shred
2: that and make up, all oh, save about 100 trees or, well, donate yeah, back. Yeah, ab-
5: abso- absolutely. But, yeah, I, I do keep notes on, on different things. I'm I'm already, again, starting what I will be putting in the garden this year, what worked, what didn't work. Um, you know, maybe I don't want to put so much effort into um, something so i'll put something else in that area yes. so yes every year it's um it's it, i do keep notes and i always have kept notes and and many of them would would make some very funny very funny stories because uh-huh. there was a lot of different different gardens or different things that i put in um the the one year here the giant zucchini and i actually have pictures of those because I didn't know enough to go out and pick them, I'm um, not let them grow so, oh, so big. So. <laughs> you just kept going. They
2: got bigger yeah, than Susan. Yeah. Oh my gosh!
5: Yeah, well, Did you submit well, any to the well. Royal Agricultural Winter Fair? Uh, no, and you know what? I you wish I had. Though. You could have. We we had um, we we had a couple that were were really really large. <laughs> That's and, hilarious. Um, yeah
1: just yeah, because you're like good. i don't know yes. when to harvest these i'll just how the heck
2: would you grow. eat it like like it's too big to sit down that's a huge salad that's you'd have to awesome. give it to the whole neighborhood
5: yeah yeah and, and what is in, i guess that's how people grow the pumpkins really mm-hmm. I, and i know that's competition um but they do know, it on grow something like that um <laughs> i i actually have resisted growing pumpkins um because of that very i i would probably get in the race and then it would just take up entire garden the
2: whole yard yard would disappear that's when you'd have to move back to scarborough and at least you could roll it down into (laughs) the back into the ravine yeah wow and 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 get it downtown that way with a bunch of people rolling it over and over and over (laughs) sue's fantastic thank you bye this is a segment of its own going through those notes oh boy i know uh Susan Kearney joins us on Fridays to kick off our show. That's our gardener right here on Kelly and Ramya. So please join us every Friday. Uh, Boy, that that was awesome. Coming up next, Microsoft and OpenAI say that hackers are using chat GPT to improve cyber attacks. Are you surprised? Well, John Beeler fills us in on how this is going on after this.
3: Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Romney return with more in a moment.
2: Wanna alert you ladies and gentlemen to the polls, folks. Catch The Pulse this Saturday and Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. This week on the program, Joita speaks to Carly Friedman of the University of Washington about disability and intimacy. That's The Pulse this Saturday and Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on AMI-audio. You can also find it as a podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And over there on YouTube, check out The Pulse at your convenience. Kelly McDonald here with Rumiya Muthan.
1: We have our app update now. Let's bring on John Beeler to talk a little tech.
6: Hi, I'm John Beeler, technology expert from Vancouver. Join me on Kelly and Ramia where I share the latest app, mobile and tech news. Everything from accessibility and product launches to privacy and security, we'll cover the gamut.
1: John, where there's tech, there's good and evil. So let's get into this first one. Um, <laughs> Microsoft and OpenAI is saying that hackers are using ChatGPT to improve cyber attacks. So tell us what's going on.
6: Is there any surprise that hackers would take advantage oh, of I'm these tools? <gasps> I'm shocked. I'm shocked. <Whoa>, wow. Yeah.
2: My <laughs> naivety says, really? Hold on. Oh, heck, who would be so. N- f- f- the f- villains nasty.
1: got a hold of the tools.
6: Yeah. Oh no! Oh my yeah. gosh! Mm-hmm. So, what's interesting in this particular case is that they're using uh, these language model AI tools to help with their scripting attacks, but they're also using it to do research on various systems that they want to attack. So, think mm-hmm. about every type of thing that you would have in a business, like a like a router, a firewall various computer systems and all those types of things are very well documented. And so now you can actually just talk to the AI and say, hey, I wanna compromise this system. I'm paraphrasing the kind of prompts you would actually use. Um, and and essentially these tools have an intimate knowledge of how to code for those platforms and how to use um, certain things that maybe aren't meant to be used in a certain way. So they're finding exploits with these tools, They're uh, very easily running scripting tools that can do very complex things like go into a system, copy all the files, and leave a malware behind, that type of thing. Wow, that's amazing. So, John, I mean, when, when this stuff has been
2: devised, we've obviously, I mean, those who are the creators obviously understand how far... This thing could go to some degree. I know for a lot of us, we start, oh, my God, that's a problem. Oh, as if no one could have predicted this capability. Obviously, the, the you know, we, there's many of us out there yourself. You have, I'm sure, many visions of things you can see happening. Is it what we just have to go through? I mean, we sit here and saying, can't they prevent this? Can't they prevent that? But there has to be prior knowledge that some of these things are going to happen, other things that are really scary that we probably haven't seen yet. And I guess it's kind of like, hey, we created a, a, a vehicle. So in the meanwhile, as we get used to it, there's going to be a lot of death through accidents.
6: Yeah. The challenge with this particular sort of use case is that— um, OpenAI and Microsoft—they can certainly shut off those accounts that are, you know, doing those weird prompts that clearly right. look like they're trying to do something nefarious. But the reality is, is that these systems can be downloaded to your computer and you can run them without having to go through a third party like OpenAI. Uh, and you can train wow. them on all the manuals to how to hack a router, you know, those types of things. So, you know, the the cat's out of the bag, so to speak. So, um, but what's interesting that Microsoft has said is that. While they're doing everything they can to stop and you know um, prevent these accounts from existing, uh, limit the amount of knowledge they can glean from these types of things. It's also important to point out that in a lot of cases, hackers take advantage of very poorly created protocols or uh, products and services that you would be using, and it it helps to expose the the shortcomings and the security or the lack of security in some of these things. So. On the one hand, they're saying it's bad, we're trying to stop it, but also it's good to put this out in the open so people can actually see that maybe this thing isn't the greatest thing since sliced bread and you maybe need to add a better password to it, those types of things.
1: To it meaning not um, uh, ChatGPT, right? Like not the AI. We're talking about the products or the programs that people are putting out there that can be hacked.
6: Yeah, because the, mm-hmm. yeah. the AI is just using whatever is published publicly about these uh, products and yep. services and uh, protocols. And so if it's publicly available knowledge, then it's just a matter of time before these tools will get full knowledge yep. of it. And And so it it makes sense to put this out in the open. Now, when I say these things are publicly notified or publicly available, there's maybe one server, you know, in some university, God knows where, that has this information. Well, the AI tools can find those things much better than most things.
1: And of course, like we're moving more towards open source everything, right? Where everyone can get a hold of code and help uh, navigate. Um, And I'm wondering, you know, what is the solution for this kind of thing? Is there a solution? Is there some direction we can head to to get ahead of the hackers? Because I personally don't think so. Like something like ChatGPT or any kind of similar situation where we're just prompting a program to help us, um, you can use it for it, to the best of its capability and continue working on it to make sure that it gets better and better. It's
6: like the growing yeah, it- pains. It, it, it's whack-a-mole. I mean, th- this yeah. is no different. The only difference now is that hackers have a much speedier way of getting their code exactly. written. Yep. Um, but also in the same token, the security defenders in this case um, have the same tools to defend themselves. Exactly. So, yeah, and are we okay. going to start
1: censoring, you know, ChatGPT to find uh, to make sure you know you can get on, but you can't based on what you're I, trying to do? I think I what John
2: know. said was so correct, right, John? Because, like I said, it's the growing, but we need to find this stuff, uh, and I think it'll always be this way, and probably is in similar mm. other areas of of business, you yeah. know, w- w- and, but and creation finding in our society. can be
1: dangerous, and I think that that's what I'm concerned about in how uh, we're going to deal with it.
2: I think you find yeah. that in every industry they really do exactly. and you know uh sir uh your second topic wiz camera glitch let 13000 owners see other feeds
6: whoops yeah speaking of uh poorly coded systems uh-huh. um, <laughs> this this is actually really a concern um on the one hand WISE cameras um they're some of the most affordable security cameras you can buy so if you have property or a house that you want to protect, they have some great products, they have flood cams, they have all these different things. Um, And the fact is they had a major outage um, because of their internet provider, which in this case was Amazon's AWS service went down. And then when they came back up, when they flipped the switch, they tried to turn on way too many accounts at the same time because everyone was kind of like, well, what is my account back? And so everyone's accessing it effectively giving this server a denial of service attack by all the th- the cameras that are coming back online. and they have this caching system that allows them to sort of um, manage the load and it got overwhelmed. and it got confused and it started serving up different people um oh my not their own gosh. account information. So you could see into someone's house, you could look at the events that were recorded in the cloud. Apparently this only affected um, uh, 99.75% of the accounts weren't affected. It was a very small portion of the accounts were affected. Somewhere in the range of 13,000 users um, were were affected. And it was also for a very brief moment in time, um, but it's still a major breach and yep. it also, dramatically reduces the amount of trust that people have in these cameras. I think we talked about it quite a while ago on this program, because they had a similar problem as well, where their version one of their cameras was not able to be updated to prevent a uh, a major flaw in, I think, the the chip that was used to give it internet access and so these older cameras could easily be exploited and there was no fix and they were very silent on the matter for quite a while. Um, And I was really hoping that they were going to sort of turn around and fix this but this also just makes it really difficult for me to recommend Wise cameras. And I love the cameras. I love the technology. Mm. It's so great, and it's really inexpensive. It's priced the way it should be, you know, and they have free options, and they have subscription options, so you have your choice depending on your needs. But it's also really hard to put these cameras in a place of concern, like a, as using it as a baby monitor, for example. Right. You wouldn't want a random person being able to see your baby's oh my uh, video live feed.
1: Well, what's, what I think terrifies me initially is that um, internet going down is such a basic problem. Like anyone and at any time and any company, you know, any internet provider can go down. Like we've seen all kinds of outages on all different levels of it as well. And then the default thing that happens is it starts spitting out random people's feeds to other random people. Like that seems like a, a huge oversight.
6: Yeah, they've since said, come out and said that this was due to a fairly recent addition to their sort of third-party provider workflow that these accounts flow through for. Verification and for routing. And they've since said that they've turned off that functionality and they've also made it very um, much stronger in um, protection for verification of the fact that you have the right account. Now, what this means is you might actually spend a little bit longer time authenticating into your app, but at least you you should feel a little bit better that it's it's all security, anyways.
1: Like it's security based, so we shouldn't complain about the security that it takes to get into our security stuff. But um, do you think that there is any other way to deal with this, John? Or is it just like, a oh, wow, we could not have seen this kind of thing coming and have to uh, troubleshoot as you go?
6: It, I, I'm not an expert in, in large networking infrastructures, but I can only imagine the nightmare that this is because it's very difficult to test these scenarios what I'm saying. until it's actually in the real world. hmm
1: yeah, like this kind of scenario seems like, oh, I, we couldn't have really seen this happen, which is kind of scary. Uh, real yeah. quick before we go, Apple says the iPhone 15's battery has doubled the promised battery lifespan. Really?
6: Yeah, this is pretty cool. Um, Up yeah. until the iPhone 15, uh, you could expect about 500 charge cycles. That's, you know, depleting the phone and then charging it up again. <laughs> and essentially an overnight charge. Um, And you would get 500 cycles before your battery would decrease down to 80% of its capacity. And now they basically doubled that estimate to be 1,000 cycles. Uh, And we think about it, you know, that's that's multiple years before you're going to see any significant decline in your battery. Right. Um, So, you know, again, assuming you charge once a day, uh, usually overnight, Apple has said that this is uh, not because of any new hardware or any real new software, but it's just because of the, the choices that they've made with their battery systems and also the uh, battery management system that's in, built into iOS uh, 17 and, and, and newer. Um, so, And I actually just checked my phone. They, they've they sort of moved where this battery information is in your phone. But if you go under the battery thing, you can actually go to battery health. It'll show you how many cycles you've had. It'll show you when you your phone was manufactured and when you started using it. And then it also wow. shows you um, what your estimated um, charge capacity is. I got my phone in September. It was apparently built in July, and I've used 104 cycles since then, which ah. is which is roughly one, one a day since when I got it. And I'm only at 98% of my capacity. So I've only gone down 2% in a very small amount or, you know, a fairly short amount of time. Right. Um, in a year or two, let's see how this plays out cuz you know this is uh, some real world testing that Apple has done to sort of confirm that this is the case without having you know to do anything with your iPhone yeah. 15 or, right. or newer it's
1: more about yeah, the communication because if it goes-
2: yeah. And if you go down to 96, in like by September, when you got it last year, if you like you're thinking of all the years, we all by the time you you even remotely get closer to that 80 percent, you're onto another phone anyway.
1: Yeah. And battery is a big complaint anyway. So it's kind of nice that we're we're able to communicate or they're communicating with us pretty transparently. And then we can say we can feedback that in a, a pretty real capacity, attainable way. Yes. OK, cool. John, thank you so much. We'll chat with you next week.
6: Sounds good. Take care.
1: John Beeler, he joins us for our app update. That's every Friday, and that's how we bookend our Tech Talks. On Monday, Michael Babcock joins us to start off the week with more tech.
2: Kind of interesting because you think so much of how long can my battery last before you get to that charge because you don't and we charge overnight because oh I don't want to be stuck in the middle of the day yeah, finding yeah. oh I got 20% well you know what am I going to do it? but to think about that I, we very seldom do on on the how long would this battery until you you take the phone out and are just using it maybe mm-hmm. as a you know a backup or using it as you know some device to play stuff on or watch stuff on so well it keeps
1: us um, on track with our habits of charging as well Right to know how often you're charging and how much you're depleting your own battery life.
2: Well, and and I like the fact, too, that it gives us a lot more prompts because we certainly overcharge things all the time, plugging them in when we don't need to due to our own fears. Up next, folks, on the program, The Buzz, folks, Mark Phoenix, he joins us. He's going to be telling us about brainwave powered tech that is giving kids the ability
3: to play. In a moment, right here on Kelly and Ramya. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv.
2: How's your day going, ladies and gentlemen? We hope we're making it a little bit better settled in with you. We do this live edition of the program on AMI-tv between 2 and 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Over on AMI-audio, we debut on there at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Every day, Monday through Friday. And of course, repeats of the program, 10 p.m. Eastern Time on both networks, 1 a.m. in the morning on AMI TV, 6 a.m. in the morning on AMI Audio. Whenever you take the show in, we appreciate your time. Ramya, she's at the studio in Toronto. Kelly McDonald here at the home studio, London, Ontario. And here's a, a guy we last spoke to on one of our roundtables recently. We welcome in to covering off the buzz today, Mr. Mark Phoenix. Hello, sir. Thanks for being Kelly. with us.
0: Hello, Kelly and Ramya. Glad to be here. I was worried uh, we would have lost power from, you know, several hours of freezing rain last night. But, huh. I mean, I'm Ooh. here, so
1: can't be that Ooh. bad. And you're on the right channel. Yes, I am. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> freezing rain is just crazy, right? It's, it, yeah. you know, I remember days in Toronto, and and that would be the thing you'd hear about. And it wasn't even so much the car accidents. It was just people falling down. Like, it's just an awful thing that we worry so much about. Here's our traffic report. Never mind that. How about your your sidewalk and fall down report? Like, it's terrible. (laughs) It's unpleasant. I've slipped a few times on
0: ice. Let's get to the buzz. Uh, Yes, sir. We start in Dallas, Texas. This is from the Associated Press, where after World War II, the U.S. Army's art experts set out to find and return millions of works stolen by the Nazis, known as the Monuments Men. They included Mary Regan Quessenberry, who, from her base in Berlin, tra- traveled to examine stolen works, tracked looting cases, and investigated suspicious art dealers. Finally decades later Questenberry and the other female members are finally going to get recognition the dallas-based foundation honoring the group updated its name in recent years to recognize their contributions highlighted their work in a new exhibit at the at a national museum and is set to publish for the first time in english a memoir in which one of the women describes spying on the nazis while working at a paris museum yes uh, the wow. Allied Army's Monuments, Fine Arts, and Archives section included 27 women and about 320 men during and just after World War II. The Army has apparently revived the concept, and the first new class of Monuments officers graduated in 2022. Now, while battles were still raging, it was all men all the time, but after the war, they started bringing women in to find what had been stolen. Uh It's a pivot that the Foundation has made since Robert Edsel founded it nearly 20 years ago with a focus on the war years. Uh, He made the Monuments officers a household name with books including The Monuments Men, which was made into a 2014 movie starring George Clooney and Matt Damon. Hmm. Uh, The Foundation has become increasingly involved in restitution, returning works taken during the war, and producing a pack of playing cards— featuring still missing works oh. so the monuments you know the monuments people it's not just something historical they're still working today and it's not all men it's uh women you know and uh, you know nbs i'm sure you know it's uh the full spectrum of uh people looking for
2: stolen art and trying to return it to their rightful owners Wow. And there's a lot of that. I mean, through history, yes. we've talked about that. We've talked about the crown jewels and different things that, and, and of course, Indigenous um, art, things that were just taken uh, or artifacts, not even art, but artifacts that were taken at different times or or donated. Here you go. Here's a gift from, uh, well, we didn't say you could give that away. Mm-hmm. Don't do it. And uh, so much being retrieved. This is very interesting, Mark, in, in the way this stuff was, you know, was removed, of course, but the retrieval, the process, isn't it? Because... Some of this darn stuff, how do you track it down?
0: Absolutely. Well, there have been so many works based on the theft and retrieval of so many ah. works of art. Um, really, they're um, trying to remember a name of a movie that came out years ago about a Klimt painting that had been stolen during the war and
2: had been found. I think it was The Debt. I might be wrong on that. Oh, one. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know it, might be which that film one. you mean, but I can't remember the title. Uh, but but mm-hmm. it's it's amazing and again, some of the stuff shows up in these museums as you're saying. Easy I won't say easy to find till someone stops and says, "Hold on a second, mm-hmm. who knows there are but when you have to go look at stuff that maybe have been in homes or stuff like that, of officers and that, that was taken, um, just just incredible efforts by these people. So Things really amazing. Things move around
1: too, right? Like we're talking yes. such... They sell
2: them, yard sale or whatever it might right, be, right? Or right. a state sale.
1: Yeah, and that's why it's fascinating when you do find the actual um, journey that the pieces took and the messaging and the stories behind how it got from this place to this place to this place because you have to and that's why the, the cards, the playing cards is interesting mark because you're thinking like somebody's got to get the message that this thing that they might have is a thing that they didn't know was this
0: absolutely and you know a lot of art, as we mentioned remains missing from world war ii from other conflicts a lot of it is traded as money laundering Mm. uh there are a lot of works that vanished and are in someone's private collection right now in some study somewhere but perhaps one day they will once again see the eyes of others. What
1: a long journey. Wow. You hope so. You
0: hope so. Mm -hmm. Well, let's move things back to Canada now where in Toronto, this is from CTV news. Eight-year-old Giselle El Nasser wants the Elmo-stuffed toy sitting on a stool across the room, and she's going to use her brainwaves to get it. As her mother encourages her with calls of, let's go, let's go, let's go, Giselle (laughs) concentrates on the platform beneath, as the platform beneath her wheelchair appears to roll by itself toward Elmo. She smiles when she reaches the stool, and an occupational therapist hands her the toy. Giselle was diagnosed with a CAMK2B gene mutation when she was a toddler. It affects her brain's ability to communicate with her muscles, so she can't walk or move her arms much, and she unfortunately can't speak. The Brain Computer Interface Program at Holland Bloorview Bloorview Kids Rehabilitation Hospital in Toronto develops technology that allows Giselle and dozens of other children to use their minds to move and play. The brain-computer interface works, at the moment, like an on-off switch, triggered by electrical patterns in the brain. While wearing a headset with EEG electrodes, the child is asked to think about something specific that will serve as a command thought. The child is then asked to relax and put their mind in a quiet, passive state, which serves as the stop thought. The electrodes transmit those signals to a computer where they are saved. The computer is trained to recognize those specific brain patterns when it sees them again and start or stop whatever device it's connected to, such as Giselle's rolling wheelchair platform. Neat stuff and doesn't necessarily involve, you know, Elon Musk having to put something in your brain
5: right right
0: you know i i I might not be up for that yet
1: Mm -mm. but it is such a learning curve right like first of all obviously kudos to the technology and it's incredible the the leaps and bounds but also um the training you have to have like in terms of uh recognizing what we need to teach the people who need to learn how to communicate with this technology that part is so fascinating to me
0: it's striking we're at a point where we can now regularly read not necessarily the content of what someone is thinking, but detect that they're having a thought at all and a yes. specific one.
1: Well it has to be specific because you're you're instructing a piece of technology just through brainwaves.
0: Yes, absolutely. Like we can now use these commands to run machines, to communicate. It's probably not too far off. Well, the CIA might already have something like this right. that can read specific thoughts. Um, or specific signals in the brain and determine what thought they might be a part of. And I see everyone swearing off brain interfaces right now. Uh-huh. Um, but these things can be used for incredible purposes, such as running platforms, maybe soon enough running an exoskeleton or Ooh. summoning other devices in an adapted home, which, I mean, at this point, we have people you know talking to various... Smart speakers, Alexa, you know Google mm-hmm. whatever well, let's now, just trigger
1: them all, Mark
0: that's right <laughs> but let's just you you think you, you think it you can make it happen um, as for as for one specific thing which we fixed in a firmware update until then do not think about switching your lights off
1: mm. <laughs> Wow. I also, like, I was reading an article the other day about, um, you know, a device that you can attach to yourself to control your lucid dreaming, you know, the the frequency of lucid dreaming or the depth of it as well. So there's this kind of, like, mind-body uh, aspect to to these, um, I guess, devices, technology, which is also very interesting. I don't know. It went into lots of detail where I'm like, I I, I don't even think I have enough experience with lucid dreaming to know that this could be beneficial. But yeah.
0: I I really don't want a machine that can read whatever weird things I'm dreaming at night. That eh. might be a bit of a bridge too yeah. far. So, yeah. Sure. But, uh, you know, we're in, we are in interesting times mm-hmm. and incredible yeah, times. Very much so. <laughs> I, I'm <laughs> blown yes. away by
2: this. This is like, I'm sitting here thinking, holy, my goodness. Like, we, you know, we always used to hear that, you know, somebody moves a glass using their brain. And we, wow, wonder one day we'll be able to figure that out and harness it. And <laughs> Holy cow, Mark. it's It's like bionics, right? It's just, it's now.
0: I would like some telekinesis. The adaptive technology available now is just, even from 10, 20 years ago, is unbelievable. Well, Um, let's move to, oh, sorry, Kelly. Did you want to jump in real quick? No, no, I was going to say unbelievable. Go ahead, man. Absolutely. Well, let's take a trip to Bellevue, Washington, to this is what happened when a Cold War-era missile was found in the garage of someone's home. There's a sentence you don't hear every day. An inert rocket of the type used to carry a nuclear warhead Has been found in the garage uh, of a deceased resident in washington state police said bellevue police uh, bellevue washington police responded thursday to a report of a military-grade rocket in the garage of a home in the city across lake washington from seattle police said an air force museum in dayton ohio had called wednesday evening to report an offer to donate the item which a neighbor said had been purchased at an estate sale how do you get a Cold War-era <laughs> missile at an estate?
7: Uh, How does somebody even get oh a Cold War-era missile in their
0: garage in the first place? Do you just
2: walk off with it from the strategic command base? Like I, <laughs> It's like, got to be something army, like somebody's leaving or whatever, and I just happen like, to load up a carrier and take it out. <laughs> it's just not, you know, bomb squad members oh inspected the
0: rusting object and found it was a Douglas Air 2 genie. An unguided air to air rocket that is designed to carry a 1.5 kiloton W25 nuclear warhead. Now, To be sure, there was no warhead attached to the missile. There was no rocket fuel. Essentially, it was an artifact with no explosive hazard. According to the Air Force Armament Museum Foundation, the unguided air-to-air rocket was used by the U.S. and Canada, so we apparently have Mm -hmm. a few of these, during a period of the Cold War when interception of Soviet strategic bombers was a major military concern. So, you know, who... If things get really desperate, we could always check some garages, I guess.
2: Well, yeah, just <laughs> start searching around Scarborough and see what you got. Oh, yeah, uh, did I mean? say Scarborough? I mean start I mean watching. We're just
1: gonna put up Kijiji ads or something. Oh my.
2: I mean, you know, yeah, it would it, Unex- be scary, but obviously these are these are around, Mark. We laugh, but this is legitimate legitimate Absol- artifacts absolutely yeah. well i remember you
0: know unexploded ordnance and you know rocket systems mm-hmm. are found all the time and i remember years Mines. ago when i think it was a hand grenade or something was found and it had to be put in a bomb disposal vehicle and driven down the don valley parkway they cleared right. the entire dvp they brought this thing down to cherry beach and they blew it up which yep. kind of sounds like fun actually but uh and also well, yeah. like very to close there. to
1: home my goodness
0: uh, uh yeah cherry beach yeah and it's also it's worth rolling noting, a little you know, east Landmines and shells from World War One, even are still being found to this day mm. buried across
2: Europe. So these things yeah. have a yeah. legacy. What
1: a spectrum from the uh, art that do. we're and, still and, finding to, yeah, we go to mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> Exactly. Yes, all taken at the same time and moved around the world. Rum, Yeesh, They move yeah. around. That's the thing. Uh, you know, you, of course, you find a lot of that when you hear the story of the Vietnam. But I've heard of it even here. People who collect things don't realize, oh, my goodness, this is an actual live mine. I better not drop it. Mark, thanks, pal. Take it easy. We'll talk to you soon. Drop
1: it. I better not pick it up.
2: Always a pleasure. Better not pull this pin. It's all fun and games. Anyway, uh, Mark Phoenix joining us as he's hosting The Buzz with us today right here on the program. We'll do the next edition of The Buzz next Wednesday right here on Kelly and Ramya. Up next in the uh, following hour, our second hour of the program, let's get the conversation recaps and comment on segments from the past week. We call the segment Cut for Time. And Ryan Huey features Exposed, the Ashley Madison hack from Audible. He says the stories spare no detail. Wow. Up next, however, folks, sports reporter Brock Richardson, he breaks down new rules for the Scotties Tournament of Hearts in a moment.
3: Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv.
2: Kicking things off, this is Hour 2 of Kelly and Ramya. Thanks for being with us wherever you're enjoying the program. Maybe you're listening in around the world on TuneIn Radio through OOTunes or the Radio Player Canada app off of AMI-audio. Thanks a lot, guys. Always glad to have you on board with us as we start the second hour of the program. On Fridays, as we walk through our show and swing the gateway open for you, we kind of settle back with a lot of things that may hopefully give you some food for thought or activities over the weekend. And that includes maybe some indulging in sports watching. Let's bring on our sports reporter for the network, Brock Richardson.
8: I'm Brock Richardson, and I love sports. As a former pro athlete, I bring you the sports angle beyond the headlines, plus parasport news and analysis.
2: So if you're doing analysis, I'm going over this. Is reporter the right terminology? Sports host, sports guy uh, for the network? Hmm. Which one do you like, Rem?
1: Sports extraordinaire. Not sure.
2: Oh. Yeah. Mm. I don't like guru. We, t- we try to use guru. And, yeah. And I- we you try to squeeze slam. that in everywhere. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Richardson, which one do you prefer?
8: Also, don't call me an expert
2: because that that would be That's just
8: when things go wrong, eh, bro? Yeah. We have
1: have had conversations with contributors where we throw around the word expert. Like, how about expert? Especially for the doorbell IDs. And a lot of people are like, nope, thumbs down Uh on that. I think there's too much expectation. Yeah.
8: I I think Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Don't put that kind of pressure on us. Yeah, That's like calling you a seasoned host, right? It's scary to you.
2: Oh, you're oh, a seasoned hurts. host. No, 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 don't do that, please. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, yeah. like it's like Kentucky Fried Chicken. Mm. Um, Mr. Richardson, what's your
8: leadoff item? So I have two for you guys today. Um, earlier this week, we learned that the New York Islanders would host the 2026 NHL All-Star Game. And I thought to myself when I read this, wait a minute. This is only 2024. What's happening in 2025? Well, I did some digging, and they're going to have this tournament called the Four Nations Face-Off, which is going to have the United States, Canada, Sweden, and Finland. And I look at this, and I think to myself— why are we doing this? Like I, like I just, I really? don't understand it. Oh, hold yeah, it, I,
2: hold it, rum You've heard this guy. I love that we're going back to the Olympics, but
8: yet you have a problem with this. Yeah, because the Olympics, you're allowing basically all the nations that qualify. Mm-hmm. This one, you're you're picking and you're saying, "Well, you're the best. You're the second best. You're the third best. You're the fourth best," and we're we're done like at least these are the nations we go
2: and play games at right like the nhl teams go over there i i I have a feeling and and we have so many and i don't know the numbers brock but so many people from sweden that play in the nhl and vice versa maybe it's the most friendly leagues
8: like what about germany and leon dreisaitl and those guys like there's
2: yeah
8: maybe that's in three years Like, I I think
2: this is just a test balloon. I kind of like it, bro. I certainly like it better than an an all star uh, thing because all star people just mess around. It's not like here, these guys by nature might actually play harder. It might be more entertaining.
8: Because they have something to play for. I mean, ask the NBA how their all star game went. Oh, God, please. That was an embarrassment. 300 points and nobody's playing defense and like yeah oh. i understand i just why, wish why do you actually kind of... run
2: up and down the court why don't they just do free throws for like three hours
1: yeah did you do yeah, fantasy like all-star and that's it like it's yeah
8: they should just sit at, i'd like i'd rather see these guys play their computer video games <laughs> why don't you just have, why don't you just have trick shots for the first three quarters and just some semblance of the last quarter Play a game yeah, just of
1: do skills. Basketball, that's whatever. Yeah. I'm hearing like so NFL, much the, about all the all-star games.
8: Oh, nowadays. it was a people joke. Well, the NFL flag
2: football it. got a lot because people could actually see the players as opposed to them running around with their yeah. helmets on. He's saying, mm. I don't even know who that guy is. All I see is a body with a helmet. But all the kids are still happy, right?
1: Like actual yeah, yeah. kids.
2: I, I don't know. I, I think don't know. So. When I was There's when I was a kid, fandom. I wasn't so happy. There was a little yeah, and I I guess I gotta think back that way. Fine. That's a long time. I mean, they didn't even wear I helmets mean, in the NHL then.
8: Maybe if I went as a, you know, an audience member or as a member of the media, you know, then you get to sort of hobnob with whomever. But other watching it on TV, nah, mm. I got I got better things to do with my weekend, yeah. and I'll watch the the skills competitions of all of them. That's what I'm saying. They're still the popular I, parts. Yeah, it's just, yeah, like like, like the Oscar media lunchroom. <laughs> like, no, the media lunchroom sure. is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know that's where I'd be. Uh, that's where I like. Uh, anyway, this. The second leadoff item is leading into our first point of uh, discussion is that we learned that Yunjin Ryu, who used to play for the Toronto Blue Jays over the past uh, five seasons, has decided to go over to Japan uh, for seven seasons. If those of you remember, Yunjin Ryu came over. He was all touted to be something special. He came over at the beginning of that pandemic season. Played in Buffalo. Then we had the uh, Tommy John surgery when he had the issues with the elbow. Never really amounted to what everybody hoped he could amount to. So I would just say good luck to Yenjun Ryu, and uh, mm-hmm. we'll see. But I think his better suiting will be in Japan. And for sure, he just he never he never rose up to what anybody's expectation was, and that's just the way I look at it. So. Mm.
1: Okay, so more groans aside from All-Star Games because spring training for the Toronto Blue Jays is getting going this weekend, but one of the biggest criticisms of baseball is that it's too long for spring training. So what do you look for during spring training?
2: <laughs> Sounds like a Richardson critis- criticism. <laughs> yeah. Just I, don't, you,
8: don't you say that every year? Yeah, I do. I can't. Multiple times? I mean, I'll watch the first game because, you know, it's the first game, but... No, I mean it's it's more for the players, it's more for the teams to get themselves ready and to stretch and to be be ready and I think the part that bothers me about spring training is that we spend so much time and Kelly you and I talked about this a little bit off offline is that they spend so much time, you know, getting ready and then we still see players, you know, the first month of the season still struggling and it's like so why did we go through 6 weeks of spring training? But it is truly more and more for the players than it is for the consumer. But even for the players, think,
1: is it a necessity or is it just something that's being done forever so keep it going?
8: They would they would tell you it's a necessity because they'd say, well, you don't want me running down the first baseline and pulling a hamstring because I didn't get an opportunity to stretch as much as I could. I mean, you got to think. They play 162 games in, in something like 180 or 90 days all told. Like, there's not many off days in in Major League Baseball, so it is a grind. Um, Mm. And you don't want to see that, so you want to get them stretched out in days of rest. But as a consumer, eh, whatever.
2: Right. Yeah. Well, the one thing with spring training is the access. If you go down to Florida or Arizona, you get access to the players because they're right there in front of you. They've got to walk past you. They're on the streets in the area. You, you you, literally, if a, if someone's friendly, you know, can go up and talk to them. I think it's too long, Brock, only because I don't think the time's used as well as it could be. Where I think it's a benefit is to the minor leaguers that get to participate and be out there with the major leaguers. But I think so many of the major leaguers do themselves a disservice by missing the first 10, 15 games or playing maybe in one or two out of that first 15 um games which you know they do what 30 if you count split squads let's say 36 games in this time period before they go and start playing for real um but that has been my frustration seeing people yeah it's just april he's just getting started no no he's been in spring training since february what's going on so you what's know, yours- it- it- It'll
1: shorten it is that what you're saying
2: I think shorten it and utilize people. I mean, or you started out with more of the minor leaguers, which is what a lot will say, that's what we do. But the major leaguers, people have to be left to do stuff on their own. Like you said, Brock, running on the line, pull a hamstring. Well, man, you've got to really have a program. And we hear about some of the guys that do, that are there already in January, February, saying, man, you're paying me enough money. I got to get in the right shape because I want to win a title. And I, I think that's the best motivation. That's what you want to see from your people. You know, you don't want this. Oh, I'm a, a big hitting slump for a whole season. You you what? You know, we're paying yeah. you. It's funny how our, how you wouldn't like it if our paying you slumped. So yeah. I I really, yeah. I, I get frustrated. Uh, Tournament of Hearts, Scotties. It's off and running, Brock, and it's a national championship uh, in Canada. Curling Canada has made some rule changes,
8: Brock. Uh, tell us a little bit about these. So first of all in previous years they would have had a tiebreaker so if uh two or more teams were in a tiebreaker you would then have a one game playoff to determine who would get into the playoffs this year they've decided that they're going to do something different where you if if multiple teams are tied so if two teams are tied then it would go to head to head so if you if you played that team and you won and they lost, therefore the team that won would move forward. If there's a three-way tie or more, then it goes to your first rock draw closest to the button to determine the hammer before every game. So the hammer means that you get to throw the last, the last stone. So every game you throw this uh, first couple of stones to determine who's closest to the pin. Well, they take all your game percentages of how close you got to the center pin. They take your two furthest examples away. They throw that out for everybody. And then if three teams or more are are tied, then it goes to how close you were to the pin through the tournament. And in this case, they had in Pool B, they had five teams with a four and four record and one team made it through because they were the best of those five uh, drawing to the button. So that's one rule. The second rule is that they now only have 1 92nd timeout during the game versus the old rule of 2. So some of those changes have taken place for the Scotties.
1: Interesting. And do you find that these uh, rule changes are necessary?
8: Uh they are necessary because it aligns with the international rules and the Olympic oh, yeah. games. What what often happens is you go to your national championship and you're doing these things and you're doing them a little differently and then you go to a international tournament and things change and i think when you can be as consistent as you can that makes a big big difference so now that everything aligns with the world curling federation i think everybody's on board with this
1: okay. i mean going I, into last I always weekend. wondered why it wouldn't have been aligned to begin right? with anyways
2: yeah mm. yeah 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 uh, going into the last weekend sir who are your favorites
8: uh manitoba's jennifer jones she's on her last Scotty's 18 appearances, she's looking for a seventh, which would be a record. Scotty's title. Uh, Carrie Anderson, who's represented Team Canada, uh, going for her fifth straight title. That's another team that you look for. Um, Caitlin Laws would be my my underdog. She got in on this tiebreaker. She represents Manitoba. She come off of the Jennifer Jones way of thinking. She used to play with her. Now she's skipping her own team. There's lots of teams available, but yeah, those would be my top three or four that I would give you leading into the final weekend.
2: You're talking sports with us right here on Kelly and Remia. Brock Richardson, you can catch him Fridays as he hits us with the latest sports update on Fridays at the top of our second hour. Have a good weekend, man. You too. Coming up after the break, Ryan Huey features Exposed, the Ashley Madison hack from Audible. He says the story spares no detail. He'll fill us in with plenty of details
3: after this. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner.
2: Out every day here, Monday to Fridays. Rummy and Kelly here, hanging, bringing you Kelly and Rummy another day, and we have the privilege of talking to so many people, some great conversations, great guests, and a fantastic subject matter. Uh, Rummy is at the studio in Toronto. Kelly McDonald here at the studio, London, Ontario.
1: And to help us wrap the week, we'd like to talk all the audiobook stuff with Ryan Huey.
4: Who knew? An entire library could fit inside your pocket. I'm Ryan Hui. This is the Chatty Bookshelf, where we talk audiobook trends, news, and author interviews.
1: How's it going, Ryan?
4: Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me back. It's going good. Lots of reading, lots of listening over here. How about you?
1: Yes, same, same, and um, I think that because we have an extra day in February, you're, you you want to tell us something, a PSA, if you will.
4: Oh, you read my mind. <laughs> Even though it, yeah, you know what? Even though it's a weekday, you got an extra day in the year, so you know, utilize it for some good <laughs> listening time coming up this week. You got that 29th day in February. It only comes along every four years, so take advantage. Take I know advantage. I
1: I mean, yeah, I don't want to get into the science of it, but um, also, are there going to be any sales or something? Do you know if anyone's doing anything because of that? It's a good marketing technique. Yeah, like like
2: an every four-year
4: sale. Yeah. February 29th Every hits. four years. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Free credit on Audible? I, I haven't seen it, but, uh, I mean, hey, they, they they should just be giving out credits at this point. Uh, the they should, they should they be saying to people like right. me, yeah.
2: Kelly, this is a day just for you because you're so cheap. Free books. <laughs> Two for one. Only for one day every well... four years.
4: <laughs>
2: right? Yeah, and no? the rest
1: of us get free credits also. Because Kelly's. So oh, good yeah, first. I guess just so. Just
4: because, yeah, sure. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Give them to Kelly to hand out. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so anyways,
1: like now that we're lying, let's move on. Um, yeah, we...
2: you're deceiving and <laughs> fooling people.
1: You've got a story for us today. Uh, it's trending all over the place. Like, I'm, I'm very curious to hear about it. So tell us what's up.
4: So do you guys remember back in July 2015, uh, the big Toronto-based uh, website, we'll call it a networking website, called Ashley Madison, got hacked. And people's personal addresses, emails, phone numbers, names, whoever was using the site um, essentially to cheat on their spouse was outed. And uh, this was huge news and it's still going strong. And now there is a true crime tell-all book available for free on audible.ca. But if you're an audible.com member, you have to pay. And why don't we take a peek into it and let's see what's going on.
1: Mm -hmm. Let's go. In 2015,
9: hackers infiltrated AshleyMadison.com, exposing more than 30 million affairs to the
1: world. I just looked at her and started crying, and I said, my
7: marriage is over. Hear the personal stories of those caught in the scandal when private desires
8: faced public shame. I understood that I had crossed over
5: a line that I never wanted to cross over.
9: I'm Sophie Nellis. Join me for
7: Exposed, the Ashley Madison hack.
1: Only from Audible oh my gosh okay so first of all the production value seems really really incredible we're talking like real it's life immaculate. oh it's my immaculate. gosh yes. yeah real yeah, i've already interviews. finished it okay so i tell bought us, it tell a us.
4: week ago and it's it tops out at about four hours That's uh, it? so it's a short listen oh, it's a short listen bingeable. however uh it's 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 a it's a day you'll 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 you'll
1: is four hours enough? Like, I want to know everything. Obviously, no spoilers,
4: please. So there's 30, uh, at, at its peak, there was 35 million users, and they handpicked some people to kind of give interviews. Mm. Uh, and these people, some of them, it's really interesting the way that the, the way they do it. Uh, the most interesting thing I found out, this will be the only spoiler I give, the most interesting thing I found out, and they mentioned it earlier in the book, is that the nine hackers have never been identified. They don't know who did it still. A and
2: I do right? oh, they it's, actually it's, it's, don't know. Wow. They don't know. And it was twenty fifteen. It's twenty
4: it's yeah.
5: almost ten years. Yeah. It, yeah. It, yeah.
2: It, but, but the but this was one of those kind of first like i mean the, when did that darn site open 2001 it had been running that long and for some people to to let it build hack in and get the kind of information for well we have, what else you're going to get it for blackmail material um that was just a phenomenal crime um, and you know what you want to
4: know something crazy the website's still going strong in the yeah. millions of users of course still. it is
2: yeah well because people probably feel now it's been done now they're secure enough, they're never going to let it happen. again. It's probably in their minds the yeah, safest place right. to be for this kind of thing.
1: Yeah, or this
4: kind and of love, thing is still so sensationalized. Sorry, go ahead. No, I love in the audiobook the approach they take because it's almost like it's some of those characters where you love to hate them because you go in with a judgmental and I'll be the first to admit, I was like, oh, these guys are cheaters and you know what, this and that and the other. But as you get to listening, it's you realize that people are lonely out there and it was a different world back then. And and I'm not saying right or wrong, no judgment here, but it's interesting because you get to feel for the people and their stories. There's one story where it's the the couple, actually, it worked, it worked it out and now they're married. Uh, then they met on Ashley Madison. There's another uh, person who her spouse was uh, she, she was in on vacation and she just went on as a joke and saw her husband's name there. And she's like, Oh my God, what's going on And her life is since, kind of been upturned, right? So there's all these different stories of... And, and it's it's wild to think that uh, all of this came for whatever reason the hackers did it, but it's really, I guess... It mind explores bending the, gray. the approach yeah, the, it's, yeah it's always a gray area it's like you go in with these conceived notions and then you 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 listen and about two hours in i bet you your opinion it might not change but you'll be questioning a little bit of it and i love the the, the narration narration's fantastic it's so good mm-hmm. that uh, i i feel like you'll you'll finish it in one sitting it's uh
2: it's i guess a true you, crime. you feel the human side of it don't you and 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 again as you say since it's a true crime you recognize the hacking was a crime. Why are you guys doing it? How much harm do you plan to do? Or how much money making do you plan to do? And most people go in saying they deserve everything they get. What are they doing, right? So yeah. as you say, two hours in, Ryan, do you change your opinion? Well, no, you know what your opinion of that, of, of what the, the folks are there for. But you may see it, it's not as black and white as you may paint it it's 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 such an interesting
4: and i it's, it's just the one thing i wish that they touched on more is the hacking itself but i mean they, yes. might they don't know to, i'm sure i'm sure there's yeah. investigations there's all kinds of stuff going on where they can't release details but the fact that they never found out who like do they even have an idea what did they is it do with the this? info
2: like did they actually put it somewhere
4: they posted it online yeah, so it was, it was everywhere the, the that's what i thought okay that's what i thought everybody caught on you know oh that's twitter that's was posting thought. this and, and everybody we're yeah, talking so it was
1: contact information yeah. like it was really yeah. no, it was home
4: addresses yeah, it was like yeah. where you lived yeah. and stuff so it was it was pretty and these are some pretty high profile people uh that you know there's well, the right? lawyers and and all kinds of stuff on there and all of a sudden now their 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 reputation is is Exposed, which is why
1: the title is so intriguing. I think this whole thing is intriguing, obviously, because as I said, it's quite sensationalized, this whole thing um, around Ashley Madison. But also, you know, one of the things to explore is what you said, which is the gray area of all this stuff when we're talking relationship statuses Mm. and all that, but also just this kind of um, monogamy as you know it traditionally has very much changed and is changing. So something like this, a... Did you call it a social networking site?
4: Anyway. What we'll call it, we'll call it a networking site. Sure, yes. yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: A networking site like this and others out there where there's so much stigma and then this kind of pushes you to to face some of that discomfort, right? It's quite interesting. Um, because obviously there's, you know, relationships being broken up and, and all kinds of exposure happening, but also just the idea of relationships and dynamics are changing so drastically.
4: Well, the is yeah, there. It, I mean, if it's thirty-five million strong, still
2: being used. I mean, right. the, uh, People, people are still using people are the site
1: out there and well, using but it. People
2: will argue the same with other sites too, like including Facebook and other means that people can somehow, yeah, run any into kind of dating other, site. Yeah, and and, there, and because the world is is full of social media and and people are out there, you know, finding ways on all. What what did we talk about the one day? Um, Um, not indeed, but our, our employment thing that we use here, uh, you know, that everybody goes on for information no, the one, the taking courses and stuff like that, um, LinkedIn, LinkedIn, that's the one LinkedIn. We had the discussion because LinkedIn has become quite a resource of dating. Yes. And it's the last place in the world. You would have thought that, you know, looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? The thing is,
4: I I think that the one thing it has going for it, Ashley Madison, I don't use the site, but you're going there for a reason. It's 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 cut and dry why you're using the site, whereas Facebook is like, oh, Ryan might be looking for friends, He might be looking for long lost high school buddies. He might be doing this. He wants people to see. There's so many different things you can do on Facebook. Yeah. And and other like Ashley Madison, there's pretty much one thing you're going there for. Right. And And it's uh, full of
1: stigma. Full of and
2: it. everybody knows it yeah and, that's why you the, up, and yeah. it was from uh, 2001 when it began this is what it was for yep. no bones about it
1: i am curious about the hacking part of it too because obviously this is the Very last much. place online that you want to be exposed to right? exposed yeah. for yeah
4: it was a worst case scenario it was you were put in a hot much. seat and if your name was released then you there's yep. you got some explaining to do or you, you know what i mean it's it's just you got to kind of disappear after that but Mm -hmm. it's it's such a good it's such a good listen i highly recommend uh... it and the fact that it's free on audible.ca right now guys go pick it up and just hit add to your library button and it shows
2: up there it's amazing when you think about the hackers and because obviously they're on to do other things and we're learning so much about hackers uh, ransoming plays you know like uh, like hospitals and so on and basically saying we are just doing this to show you we can exactly and this is a totally wow we did this we put it out there and now we're laughing at the collateral damage
1: such a fair and point I kelly things but...
2: have changed
4: right yeah, yeah. within like because you said there's there's still millions using the site like, aren't they scared are the do they not care like the stigma there's so many gray on? areas yeah
7: how is
1: the um the creators or you know the, the people at Ashley Madison, how do they continue to run something like this, knowing that this has happened and so drastically? Uh, is It's also beyond me. I think,
2: uh, and I think since they've got people coming back, that's the, not the worry that, where you would think, oh my gosh, don't you feel at all shamed or whatever? Yeah, yeah. And their view would be, we started this for a reason. If we were going to be shamed, we would have been shamed Almost back in one." Almost normalizing 01. now. Like um, it's nothing to us. This perfect. is what we started.
1: For true crime ryan is this one of your top listens in recent
2: this, uh, this it,
4: it'll probably hit in my top five okay. of audiobooks in general this year it's really good it's okay. really really good and uh it's just yeah i i just I, I love everything about it the production is great as you guys saw in the trailer and everything it's 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 just so good um they've really sunk some money into it and uh, i think that it's going to spawn into something else whether it's a podcast whether it's a second book whether there's more interview i feel like it's just opening the floodgates and people are going to come out of the woodwork and want to talk a little bit more
2: i wonder what else is similar right you know that that we may not even maybe it didn't get as high profile but if you found out another kind of thing like this well, you even if you never knew about it say something mm. over in australia happened like this or or whatever you well, would just be so curious on what piece you're missing which yeah. is how the hackers did it exactly who they were
1: well, the last thing that I can at least think of is when the Nexium cult got exposed, and CBC did mm-hmm. a, a mm-hmm. mini series mm-hmm. podcast on that, and that was the same thing. So riveting, so well done. I mean, it's fit. It suits the genre, right, to do something like this. Just oh, a, yeah, one binge listen, and you know, go for it.
2: And there are tons of examples in history, even before internet, of things like this that yeah. that people got, oh, caught with, you know, or, or exposed for the hand in the cookie jar.
1: Also, it's audio and not something that Netflix has picked up or something. I mean, I don't know if there's another big kind of uh, (laughs) uh, format. Who
4: knows, right? Yeah, there might be some sort of documentary or like a similar series. This one's getting a lot of clout for an audio.
5: Yep.
2: You know, I remember wishing oh, radio dramas would have become something really huge years ago, and we're there now. There are so many things that we know and knew back then. Oh, this is better as a radio drama. As a, as a TV show, it would be yeah. terrible or whatever. You would tell too much. You, you need to be able to imagine, picture things. And now so many people are on board with, yeah, why would you ever ruin this? Don't ruin it. it, it it's a great, I want to listen to this while I'm driving. Or I want to listen while I'm on transit. And I it think that's part
4: of it is that, you know, some of the people wanted to remain secret. Like, they're not saying their names. Oh, yeah, they're not going to come or on. We want to sure. tell our stories. Anonymity. Whatever, yeah. Yeah, and they're not going to come on there. Yeah, and we don't want our voice, voice changed. Voice changed or like yeah. this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> awesome. Right, thank you.
4: No, thanks, guys. Have a really good weekend.
1: You too. You got us hyped. Okay, so that's um, the, oh, sorry, Exposed, Exposed, the Ashley Madison Hack. It's on audible.ca for free if you are a member. And Chatty Bookshelf is every Friday where we talk audiobooks with Ryan Huey.
2: I should have had these guys darken me so that, you know, I'd like to sort of blur my my uh, visual, you know.
3: Coming up next, let's visit in on uh, Ray on conversations from the past week on Cut for Time, right here on Kelly and Ramya. That's not a bad
2: voice. Not bad. That's what. They, that's how they screw them up, right? Mm-hmm.
3: You don't know who that person is. Never. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute.
2: Welcome back to the program, Ramya Muth and Kelly McDonald. We are the hosts here of Kelly and Ramya. Weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern on AMI-TV and over on AMI-audio at 4 p.m. Eastern. Check us out as a podcast. Subscribe using your favorite podcast platform, and you can listen to the show in segment form or the complete Kelly and Ramya podcast where you don't miss a thing, including the audio vanity card. I bring this to your attention as Grant Hardy joins us for this segment because we're going to talk about some of the segments on the program through the week and give some... Reflections. Uh, these are reflections because actually, you know what? We ran out of time or knew it wasn't quite the place to get into some of the subject matters that these particular segments have spawned for us in thinking about. I want to start with Tuesday's program, where we spoke with Canada Accessi- Accessibility Officer Stephanie Cadu, about her first report. This is called Everyone's Business, which highlights the strides we've made for a barrier free Canada. Now, here she is touching on it uh, briefly.
7: Well, the act, the act itself, um, really is is trying to initiate uh, a massive culture shift, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and with that, there has to be a mindset shift as society. We have got to recognize, and and I don't have to tell you this, but um, we have to recognize that people with disabilities are not the problem. The barriers are the problem, and it's the barriers that are costing us all a better quality of life, and and costing the inclusion of people with disabilities. And work has begun. And so this report is really setting, uh, just setting a baseline for the fact that the work is starting. We've made a commitment to the work, but we have a long way to go. And we have a lot to learn about what accessibility is and why it matters if we get, if we're going to get to that barrier-free 2040.
2: Fantastic information she gave us Tuesday on the program. Check that out via the podcast. I love the fact that she mentions the barriers. And again, barriers can be so many different things. instead of pointing fingers and saying, oh, it's you, it's the attitude that this government has or employers that don't want to bring me in or landlords that are so worried I'm gonna I'm, my wheelchair won't fit here or I might fall down the stairs here. whatever we know there's barriers. we know as Stephanie talks about uh, the potential of laws being able to work with that. One of the other barriers that I, I have always noticed through my life is ourselves members of the disability community we kind of touched on it for a moment near the end of, of the conversation but we can think of communities in the disabled world disabled fear sphere that we may not work as well together some we sit back and say wow they band together work together and get things done some of the other disability communities, maybe that's not their style, not their flair. They hang back a little bit. But we get into so many cases where we we do need to speak and say, hey, this is what we need. We do need to make sure it's pointed out because when we're all in unity, holding hands, fighting for a common good or a cause that we want to work on, some of the people in the line may not be able to say, well, you know, persons who are blind need this. We, we need to show up. We need to be there, we need to inform, we need to speak up. And of course, this goes without saying, in the proper way. You know, we don't need to be the sledgehammer crashing through, we need to be assertive, we need to speak up. But I find that, as the old saying used to be, safety in numbers, strength in numbers, whichever way you want to put it. And we've heard some of the more recent sayings, um, going back to the Paralympics even, you know, nothing without us, that's the way that things are. We are a part of this. Many people in some form have a disability, whether they recognize it or not, but it's a matter of trying not just to think of the other. Well, what would it be like if I was, you know, in Grant's shoes? Um, Maybe ask Grant, maybe ask Grant, come along, or Grant steps up and says, yeah, I'll be alongside you guys, I'll be there, instead of leaving it to, well, maybe Romeo will go, Grant, your feelings on this.
9: Well, absolutely. I think that anybody who believes that the disability community is completely unified is uh, <laughs> is mistaken uh, because we aren't. And on the one hand, that's fine. Not everybody in the world has the same opinion or the same perspective. But I do think one thing we have to be careful about is using. Better than average skills in order to tear down infrastructure that other people want. So for example, mm. you know, if you're a blind person who's really, really good with computers, you know, you're you're practically a programmer, you might be okay with, you know, this software here at, you know, at, at work it's really hard to use. I have to kind of simulate a mouse click here or there. I've had to kind of come up with all these, these hacks, these workarounds. But for me, it works fine. So I don't really care. In fact, I might even be dismissive towards the accessible infrastructure that another blind person is saying they want. We see this too with mobility. You know, someone who's incredibly just has super skills might be a little bit more dismissive towards somebody who has lesser, less skills or is, is newer, is just less confident. And that's very unfortunate because I think that in all of our lives, we have these areas where we're not, we can't be confident in all areas. Mm. I'm a very tech confident technology user, but I'm a very weak, weaker than average mobility user so i think i've learned uh ramia i mean there's so much to say here we could we could go on but i have learned even infrastructure that i absolutely don't feel i need but that eliminates a barrier for somebody else is important and not something i should dismiss
1: totally totally grant and and i appreciate what you say about lived experience as well because uh we are on a spectrum on all these levels right it's very complex to try to get some feedback and i understand the complexities uh can be challenging can be discouraging uh, especially when we're talking about you know infrastructure in the sense of, like, this already exists now, how do we make it accessible moving forward? Does that mean stripping down? Does that mean getting rid of heritage sites and history? Like, there's a lot to discuss. There's a lot of back-and-forth, tug of wars, arguments and, and um, you know, rules and feedback that need to happen in order to be able to move forward in a fair way, and then there's lots of that that has to happen for us to say, hey, we are in accessible Canada now. Um, So, obviously, there's just so many spots. It can feel so overwhelming. But And these initial interactions, these initial conversations with builders, with um, service providers, with researchers, people who are starting any kind of project at all, and— that kind of initial interaction that I'm I'm talking about can really make or break a situation for you. It can make you feel like, okay, yeah, we can do this. Accessibility is a thing. um, And I feel like I can talk about it or ask questions about it. Or, depending on what that interaction was for you, it can feel very discouraging. And I think that we got to be cognizant of that as well. So... Um, but it was an, an incredible conversation, and I think something to continue reflecting on, but also revisit to, to go back and uh, listen back to Stephanie Kidu. On Wednesday, on a totally different note, we spoke to Greg David, uh, and he led a discussion on the lack of a pilot season with the U.S. TV networks. And here's, uh, here he is explaining the ramifications of the Writers Guild strike that obviously made a huge impact on this.
10: Well, I mean, the last time we spoke about TV show pilots, um, the uh, the broadcast networks had picked up just six shows out of the combined fourteen pilots that they had uh, that they, they had uh, kind of lined up. Now, pre-pandemic times, there were up to sixty pilots being considered for series, and I still say I would love there to be a channel of all of those pilots that never made it to air, uh, just you know, for the the fun of it. Uh, but last year we spoke about several pilot projects that ended up being Held over to this upcoming broadcast season because of the strike. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, things that, that had been set up uh, that we talked about previously, they just never saw the light of day. So the production companies on the network said, okay, well, we're going to hold off. Uh, and now these new shows to, that we saw the pilots for, discussed the pilots for last year, are now coming to series. So, in addition to potential shows being renewed, um, there have been several freshman series that were supposed to debut this year that have been instead pushed to this fall.
1: I mean, earlier we talked with John Beeler and kind of threw out the sentiment of, could we have prepared for this? Is there a way we could have said, you know, this this is something that may arise, this situation, so let's learn how to troubleshoot it in a realistic way. And I think with the Writers Guild uh, strike, but also the pandemic and all these other examples, there really isn't, right? And the thing is, it went so long. The strike itself went so long. The ripple effect and trickle effect of um, this Writers Guild strike was so enormous, and I don't know if there was any way for people and networks and all these different departments, different cogs in the machine, to have predicted uh, how long it was going to go, number one, and how to deal with the after effects. So now we're kind of like pulling things out of the archives and um, saying, forget it, you know, quantity over quality, and all these different ways that we're dealing. And on top of that, we know that TV is changing pretty significantly as it is, We're, you know, award shows with pilot season. Greg went on to talk about how pilot season itself is probably not going to be a thing anymore. Um, and and I just wonder, you know, it, conventional TV as we know it, uh, as it makes—as all these changes happen because they have to or because, you know, the, the public, we demand it does with all these changes and uh, exposure to things like streaming networks go on, how— can we keep track? Is it just things as they happen? Or can we be more proactive towards, you know, next year's pilot season or next year's award shows or uh, next year's way that TV is going to look? And I I don't know. Like, I don't think that there's any real way to keep track or... Feedback these things ahead of time. It's got to be just seeing where it goes and then uh, say well That didn't work out last year. Let's see if something else will but we are more vocal and Fickle I think as well. So if it's not working out here, then we've moved on and I think that that says a lot because Kelly uh, Somebody's gonna lose money somewhere when Mm. that happens.
2: Yeah, and I think we have to look at the regular, the actual natural matrization of what would have really happened if we didn't have a pandemic, didn't have a strike. You know, things change in time. We are watching so many things happen, whether we're talking about what the chat GPT is going to do, um, how they've countered, how these things had to be talked about. But losing something like pilot season, yeah, I mean, it's tough, but It'll, re- it'll rebound to something else in another way that may not be called that, but probably be more efficient in the way of, instead of going to LA and hanging out and saying, all right, let's take a look at a bunch of these at NBC or whatever, there'll be something else different, Grant. I have to believe that down the pipe.
9: Yeah, yeah, I would hope so. It's certainly interesting to examine all of the internal sort of politics that mm. lead to us either having access to something or not. Yes. I remember reading that um, American Idol, one of the highest rated shows on tv ever was uh broadcast because the daughter of an executive at the tv station his kid daughter had access to the show on british tv and loved it and asked her dad if he could bring it to the network in the states like that's fascinating that's fascinating that i always assume those uh decisions like that are sort of more scientific Mm -mm. um and at the end of the day it sometimes comes down to politics and you think like "Mm, is there any way i could have access to this show that maybe didn't quite make the tv but that might be my personal favorite or you know this or that and 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 you just can't but um yeah that's it's fascinating to see all the as you said the the cogs in the machine the the wheels that that de- determine whether you have access to something or not mm. um really quickly uh switching gears to kelly's conversation uh with leanne barda where she gave some tips on hosting an accessible uh house party
7: you want to be welcoming you want to be gracious uh, uh flexible and attentive with your guests so you you can kind of get a, a sense of the mood in the room if no one's talking and it's oddly quiet and it feels awkward then you know they there needs to be a switch. Something needs to happen to make it um, a little bit more livened up or, you know, uh, maybe an icebreaker or maybe it's time to start the game or whatever it is you're doing to get people kind of mingling and to know that there's a change happening and that the party's getting started.
9: Yeah. This is something that I, not necessarily as a host, but just as a participant, I've always found exceptionally difficult because there's so much that can be transmitted in a, visual uh, format um and not not to sound you know like i'm being feeling sorry for myself or anything absolutely not a lot of people learn to handle this very well and do an exceptional job uh, but i've always found everything from the subtle etiquette you know when do you sort of start eating the food versus when do you kind of start to wrap things up it, it's hard but also just mingling because often what happens is you know groups of people kind of get together and just kind of milling around and figuring out who's there who who, who's talking to who whether someone's coming up just to say hi or whether someone's coming up because they'd like to have a 10-minute conversation with you uh all those things are exceptionally difficult for me to kind of figure out i know both of you have your individual journeys with vision loss, so maybe one or both of you would like to give a couple quick tips or just your own perspective on these
2: parties Jump in there, Rum.
1: Yeah, I just, I find that slight pressure slash awkwardness is always there. Any kind of social gathering for me, it's exactly what you said, uh, Grant. Like, am I getting the hints? Are there hints? Where are the hints? Um, you know, am I with somebody? Did I have to come here on my own? And then the, let's get the party started part. When I'm hosting <laughs> any like level of or group of friends, I have no idea when to or how to give that hint. So, you know, somebody else got to start the party.
2: <laughs> <laughs> i find that my for myself um in social things and, and i find it more i'm more quieter i i've become so aware that i'm loud that i love to hear people laugh so i try to be the funny guy sometimes and as i've gotten older it, it wears a, l- a little bit um i i don't i'm try to be aware of not grabbing the floor and mm. keeping it So, uh, as for the other social things that I think if I hosted things, I think I'd be okay with, I think I'd be okay with the volume of people, but that's just my theory as opposed to actually tried and true testing. Um, you know, I, I'm definitely that person that would rather go to something and say, Hey guys, thanks. It's been a great 45 minutes. I'll see you later. (laughs) Thanks Grant. (laughs) Appreciate you joining us today for cut for time. (laughs) We'll talk to you next week on the program. Uh, We do this every week on Fridays. Sit down and visit. Ramya, myself, Grant, or Beth joins us uh, for Cut for Time. Please check the stuff out via the Kelly and Ramya podcast for more details and complete segments. We step aside for a moment. When we return, let's wrap up the Friday edition of our show. We'll see what's going on on the weekend uh, over at AMI-TV and AMI-audio. And we have a closing moment for you folks about kind of learning some tips for taking it easier and not stressing
3: yourself out. We're back with that after this. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break.
2: more ribbons to tie on the show before that gateway to the weekend is wide open, ladies and gentlemen. Let's start. Weekend content. What's going on on the networks? Accomplished disability activist and lawyer David Leposki is featured in a two-hour special on AMI-audio this Saturday. Barrier Free Manitoba presents David Leposki, who speaks at the Canadian Museum for Human Rights in Winnipeg about the insights and practical actions learned from his decades on the front lines of accessibility and his volunteer efforts outside of Ontario. Tune in to David Leposky Saturday at 6 p.m. Eastern on AMI-audio.
1: And on AMITV, tv you can get fit from the comfort of your own home with Healthy at Home with Bobby Jensen. Uh, this is Sunday on AMI-tv, and in this week's installment, Bobby helps amp up the cardiovascular system to keep the heart and body healthy and happy. That's Healthy at Home with Bobby Jensen, Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern on AMI-tv.
2: I'm going to hang on to that thought, folks, for our closing moment here. Stress and heart health. Uh, this is uh, came out on uh, February 14th. Stress is a normal part of life, and when faced with too much stress, it can be damaging to your heart and affect your cardio. Constant stress can put a strain on your heart and lead to uh, increased cholesterol levels, blood pressure, and your regular heart rhythms can go all out of whack. It can also create inflammation in arteries. If you're experiencing headaches, upset stomach, or inability to focus, think of a few of these things, folks, that we've got for you here. That might say you're stressed. Here's a few ways to kind of work on that. Contact your healthcare provider, of course, discuss your concerns and manage your blood pressure and cholesterol levels. Avoid over committing yourself, Ramya, mm. by trying to efficiently manage your schedule and prioritizing daily tasks. Of course, daily tasks, Bobby there, we know about that. Uh, it, that'll help improve mood and manage stress. Eat a healthy diet to give your body a chance and plenty of energy, uh, you know, moments there. Practice relaxation techniques. A lot of people like that. We, we mentioned yoga when we think of that kind of thing with your deep breathing meditation, make some time to Thanks. relax, enjoy your favorite activity, spend time outdoors with friends or simply escape like Ryan Huey with a good book. Folks get good quality sleep and have a clear mind when you you have to encounter uh, problems and, and challenges out there. But mostly folks. Get help if you need it. Ongoing stress can lead to serious mental health conditions such as depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, and anxiety. If you or someone you know is finding it difficult to manage stress, do not be afraid to seek health. Rum, some really great advice there, and, and not a big surprise.
3: Oh,
1: yeah. Overcommitting yourself, that's a really big one, and it goes back to that acute stress that we carry around all day and not necessarily notice uh, that I was yeah. talking about yesterday. So, absolutely.
2: Yeah, and I think what people need to think about is the different ways that with, when seeking that help, whether it's group counseling, support groups, or just mental health professional, mm-hmm. uh, it's the best way, really, not to feel funny about it. Get that help. Folks, I'm not here on Monday. Ramya and Grant will be uh, doing things, handling the the, the the gears here, running the show. I would like to uh, say, folks, I'm with the Centre of Independent Living and their partners out there. We invite you to a virtual conversation for Black History Month, and I'm honoured to be a Very part cool. of this. It's called At the Intersection of Blackness and Disability, where they envision a little bit about a, a big city like Toronto what it might be like Mm. if we look at things from a different lens. I'm looking forward to those conversations for sure. Uh, On the show with Ramya and Grant, the Apple Vision Pro is in the wild. What does this mean? Michael Badcock, he explains during our Tech Talk on Monday.
4: We
1: also have orientation and mobility with Mark Rankin and he's doing part two of Fall Preventions. We're going through a simple audit that you can do to figure out home hazards in very easy ways.
2: I love how this came up before, and I didn't even think about at home, the nope. place where you fall the most. We're just thinking
1: winter Run- and ice, yeah.
2: Me too, the black ice or whatever. Mm-hmm. Guys, have a good show. Have a great Thank weekend, you. of course, ahead of it. We'll talk to you Tuesday. I will. These guys will be here 2 p.m. on Monday. Now, get out of here, will ya?
1: Hosts, Kelly McDonald and Ramiya Amadin.
2: Reporter, Grant Hardy.
1: Senior show producer, Jeff Ryman. Visual producer, Megan McGrath. Producer, Marianne Dion
2: jones Graphics, Andrew Antonello Production Assistant, Kingsley Juco
1: Control Room Operators, Daniel Penamondo Eliza Rocco, Parker Oxtoby
2: Director, Irene Solomon
1: Manager of Live Production, Paula Dineen
2: Manager of Operations, Kyle Harper
1: Manager of AMI-audio, Andy Frank
2: Director of TV Production, Kara Nye
1: Vice President, Content Development and Production, John
2: Melville President and CEO, David Arrington
1: Give us your feedback, one 509 4545
2: Copyright 2023, Accessible Media Inc.
9: Hey folks, thanks for checking out Kelly and Ramia today on the podcast. My name is Grant Hardy. I am on air a couple of times a week for headlines and also a bi-weekly to talk about some weird and wacky stories from around the world on what in the world. I just wanted to talk a little bit about a self-care app that I've been trying called Finch, where you literally have a virtual pet. It's a little bird. And um, the goal of the app is that every day you tick off which of your goals you've completed. They could be big things like finishing that project at work, or they can even be just little things you're struggling with, like get out of the house, get out of bed, you know, clean the kitchen, whatever it is that you're struggling with. I know the winter can be exceptionally hard. uh, So it basically meets you uh, wherever you want to meet it. And in return for completing your goals, your bird gains energy. And uh, if you complete enough goals, he'll go off on a little adventure, he or she, and come back with kind of an interesting little, cute little story to tell you. Apparently there's some science behind this, but apparently it does motivate um, people to complete goals who are having a little trouble getting inspired. But the interesting thing about it is the bird, you know, has different, like color, you know, wears different outfits, there are different things that it encounters graphically, but for the most part, the app is actually accessible with voiceover on the iPhone. I'm not sure about Android, I haven't tried it, but it's obvious that they have put some level of accessibility into the app for a blind user, and the interesting thing is if you do get addicted to this and it is helping you complete your goals, you can get friends onto the app. Or even just like other um, other strangers who use the app, um, you can find them in the Facebook group for the app. You add them to your sort of neighborhood, and then you can send each other little um, stuff to kind of motivate you. Like you can send strength, or you can send a virtual hug. Uh, you can send, you know, just a hello, I'm waving at you, hello, and your bird will tell you the story, whoever bob and his bird are sending you a virtual hello so i don't know it sounds kind of gimmicky but um sometimes that can be fun just to get a little hug a little hello a little strength either from someone you know like your partner or just a random stranger on the finch facebook group um anyways it's kind of cool it's all all positive nothing negative um definitely not uh you know, trying to advertise for this app, just mentioning something that uh, has been kind of fun for me in the last little while. I'm not really sure how long I'll stick with it, but the winter can be pretty tough. So anything to motivate me to kind of help get through it uh, is a good thing. Have a fantastic weekend. We will be back with more Kelly and Ramia on Monday. I believe I will be host uh, co hosting with uh, Ramia. Uh, so that should be a lot of fun, but we got a lot of great content during the week always keep that feedback coming thank you so much for watching and listening have a good one
1: hi i'm jenny bovard join me monthly for low vision moments where i speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted watch on youtube or download low vision moments from your favorite podcast distributor